Andrea and I need your help. If you like our episodes, please give us a five-star rating and a review. Not sure exactly how that helps us, but it does, and it makes people want to listen. When they see that five stars and a good review from you, So go to wherever you're listening to your podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, wherever, and hit that five stars. Afghanistan, 7,500 miles away from Arkansas. Afghanistan has been conquered and reconquered over the millennia only to return to its natural state. Religion, orthodoxy, and corruption run wild. These people live there every day, commuting to work in sometimes big cities and sometimes by foot. Are their lives that much different? Can they call themselves a different type of human being? Or are they just like us? Do they live their life just like we do, with the same complications? Richard Walton is a world traveler and has been there many times and negotiated with the good, the bad, and the ugly to help people who need it. Richard, how are you doing today? Great. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about your trek here, your 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 Afghanistan living stuff. Uh, do you want me to start how I got there or uh, sure. what I lived in over there? Okay. Well, it all goes back to uh, 2008. It was a big recession here in the United States for some of your listeners. I might remember that. The and housing crisis. Yes. And my business was architectural design. had my own company uh, for 30 years. Had about 10 people working for me uh, off and on. And I always tell people that uh, it's a recession when your neighbor's out of work and it's a depression when you're out of work. (laughs) So this is this is still kind of the height of of the Afghan war with the United States. Yes, it was. Even though Bush celebrated many, many times how many times we've finished it. We didn't actually finish it because it kept coming back. Right. And one of the uh, first things I learned when I would get over there, I had uh, some people tell me this is uh, the graveyard of empires. So just like you did in your opening talking about Afghanistan, that's the way it was. But uh, to to make a quick story about how I got over there, uh, the recession came along. I had to lay people off. Uh, Several of my contractors I worked with uh, went bankrupt. Uh, The ones that could uh, afford to and were uh, of that age retired. And so I was trying to just scramble, just trying to make ends meet. My wife uh, was a stay-at-home mom with three boys. And so, um, you know, I tried to pick up work uh, here and there, and I'd even call other architecture firms, and they'd say, hey, Rich, we just laid off 300 people. Yeah. Um, you know, th- it was just horrible. So I started just putting, sending resumes out, feelers all out. I remember one time I even went down and applied at uh, the brand-new Costco store out here in Oregon. And uh, they had uh, 4,000 people apply for 72 openings. Wow. And so, you know, it just got pretty ugly real fast. Kind of the opposite of the way it is right now. You have a job opening and no one applies. Right, exactly. And so we started putting out some feelers and through some uh, uh, coincidences, uh, we had a couple of people that uh, my wife knew through the U.S. Naval Academy where one of my sons was going 
um, and they mentioned that they had some work overseas. And so uh, to make a long story short, after trying to get all these shots and everything all on my own, because I'm a civilian, I'm not a you know military type person. Yeah, you had to get and, vaccines and stuff, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and every disease you can possibly think of is in Afghanistan. <laughs> Leprosy, TB, rabies are really bad. Uh, you know, everything. Tom Foolery um, is also an illness that I've yes. run into. And uh, I did do a short, uh, uh, about a month in, Af- in, in Iraq, but... People would tell me, well, if Iraq's a third world country, Afghanistan is a fifth world. Not to put it down, not their fault. It's just because of the centuries of war, uh, education hasn't been a real large priority for the rural people. So would you say that education is what's held a lot of these folks back in Afghanistan? Definitely, definitely. Um, And you can see even like in our school systems here in the last several years uh, of what people are taught and shouldn't be taught. Um, you know, if you can't read the Koran, which is their, you know, their their religious book over there, yeah. then you're at the mercy of whatever people are telling you it says. That's true. Well, that's that's what Martin Luther, uh, he that's what he was against when he left the Catholic Church in the 1500s. And he said everybody should be able to read the Bible. And the right. Catholic Church said, no way, that's heresy. And they tried to kill him for it. But, right. you know, it's, everybody needs to read it or else it's, you get the stupid stuff like having penance on the steps where you whip yourself right. and then give the priest 50 bucks. You know, that's probably do they do stuff like that there? Uh, yes. Wow. <laughs> uh, but that is, you know, it's, it's just to non-believers. But uh, what finally take you a little bit about my history, I was in I was in. Um, college during the Vietnam War. Okay. And I had a department, so I didn't have to go. My friends were coming back and saying, hey, Rich, this might not be a place where you might want to go. And so I was having a good time in college. So I said, okay, and just kind of let it go at that. And then uh, time I got out of college, the war was over, so I didn't do anything. So I'm the only male in our family that has never uh, served in the military. And so your son is uh, what, in the military too now, yeah, right? All, all three of my sons. Yeah. I have two sons. Uh, one just got out of the Navy. He was a Navy uh, flight officer. He flew in the P threes and then nice. I have one still in the army. And then one that's uh, was my oldest one was in the coast guard. So old dad never been in it, been a civilian, just sitting on uh, resting on my laurels over here, working hard, <laughs> trying to create a business that all of a sudden just, you know, went away. No brigadier so, generals then. No, no. <laughs> so with 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 three hundred dollars in my pocket, Paul, I got on a plane with a one way ticket to Baghdad. That's oh, where wow. I had to make my first stop, and I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, got to Atlanta, Georgia. Called my wife. I uh, said, uh, "Is this something I really want to be doing?" Because I was going over by myself. Yeah. I didn't have anybody I was going with, and um, and she goes, "Well, if you don't like it, you can come back." And I thought, "Boy, that's pretty insensitive." So <laughs> people are dying over there, you know. Hey, if you and don't so, like it, don't worry about it. Just come on home. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, don't worry yeah. about it. You know, just uh, just yeah, make sure you, you duck. And, uh, you know, if there's, you hear the sirens, you know, go in the bomb shelter. You'll be fine. That's right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned that real fast. That's what I had to do over there. I mean, I, I had no idea what I was going to be, where I was going to be on. I assumed I was going to be on a giant base because uh, that's what I saw on TV, right? Right. Yeah, I'm sure Finally got to Afghanistan. I was in a house in the city with two Christian Lebanese bodyguards. And what? so that's wow. when my first deployment started over there. And um, I went over there twice. I went over there in 2010 for about four and a half months, came home, tried to restart my business again. Stuff still didn't pick up. So then I uh, had another opportunity to go back over there again, I thought, for another year and ended up staying for four years. 
Huh. So why did you have bodyguards? Uh, well, because people wanted to kill me because I was an American. Oh. Yeah. So living in a house in Afghanistan, um, we had to kind of be on the lowdown. So when I would get these um, different contracts we would bid on, that's what we were trying to do. I worked for a construction company that was uh, trying to get government contracts over there. Um, there's no, there's, there's, there's cell phones, but there's no street names. There's no, uh, 80% of the people can't read or write and they'll fall to their own. I, I love the people over there. But if you can imagine trying to, to navigate through all that type of stuff, where do I find out where the lumber is? Where do I find out where the yeah. sand is? Where do I find out where all this stuff is? Well, what you do is you hop in a car and you drive around. And uh, in Baghdad, that might be dangerous. Yes, yes. And matter of fact, when I had to get my fingerprints done, uh, when I went to the uh, green zone, people heard about that. I lived in the red zone. I lived yeah. outside of that. But um, people said, I mean, you just get out and you drive around. And I go, yeah, that's what I do. And so did you have an um, armored I, car? Uh, sometimes you did. And sometimes I didn't. Oh, my and gosh. So, Running around in the Toyota Forerunner. <laughs> yeah, when I first when I first got to Iraq, uh, I got separated from the kind of the people that I was on the plane with, Oops. and they pulled me aside and pulled me over to this room. And the guys are standing there with the guns and guards and everything. They took my passport and they said, "Visa no good." And I went, "Uh oh!" And they said, "You sit here." And I thought, "Oh!" And they took my passport away. And I thought, "Oh, I'm, I'm gone. Nobody knows where I'm at. Yeah. Nobody knows where I'm at." You know, I've seen this stuff on the news and the people and everything. Finally, they came back, and what they wanted was me to shake me down for 150 bucks for a, a new visa. And ah. so then I gave them half of my 300 that I had. <laughs> and then when I got out, there was a sign there that said, you know, Rich Walton. And so I went over there, and that was where I started my adventure. And the guy said, here, put this on. I go, what is it? And they said, well, it's a bulletproof vest, but it's not really bulletproof. Yeah. And so well, <laughs> bulletproof vests in, aren't bulletproof. We They're... jumped in a car, and they started driving down through Baghdad uh, on all the roads, going the wrong way, the right way. Every time we come to a corner, a bunch of guys would jump out, hold their guns up, stop traffic, would swing around, go through. I thought, wow, this is just like in the movies. All for and one dude. Yeah, so I was there for an orientation of about, uh, oh, I'd say a couple weeks. And then from there, I flew over to uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. And that's where my real adventure started. First day of orientation was duck and cover. (laughs) Secondary orientation. Here's how to stop a leg wound from bleeding. (laughs) Yeah, don't die. Exactly. So, so yeah, it was. It was a whole new way of doing business uh, when I got to Afghanistan, and you're basically, I was just left out, you know, with how do I do this? Who do I call? Where yeah. do I go? You know, there's no phone book. There's no uh, There's people, no so cell phone reception out there. A little bit, a little bit. Maybe you know, in town, and, but that's in about town. it. And, and so the first time I was over there for the four, four and a half months, I was working for a contractor trying to uh, – acquire government jobs working uh, for the Army Corps of Engineers. We bid on those type of jobs. He probably had a, had a satellite phone, right? No. no Did he have a, a satellite phone? No, just had a regular cell phone. Oh, wow. Um, but, uh, Paul, the, the, you couldn't have planned out my life. The, the second or third day of my life, a warlord showed up my doorstep and told me basically that uh, my company owed him $30,000 and, and, and uh, bad things were going to happen if I didn't get him the money. 
And so when I got a call from my headquarters in Baghdad, they said, how's it going, Rich? I said, well, I think there's this guy that's going to burn down the house and kill everybody if we don't pay him. They said, okay, let's look into that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it's more than let's look into that. (laughs) We we have a board meeting in the morning, but, you know, we'll go ahead and push this up. We won't let them. It's okay. And what happened was the guy that had my position previously, which they never told me, took off with a bunch of money and never paid some of the loans. And so when I looked outside the door, as I walked the guy to the door, because I had an interpreter that lived with me in this house, and I looked outside in the street, and here were probably about 50 uh, Afghans with, uh, you know, they looked like Taliban, who knows what they were, all standing there with their AK-47s and all, you know, kind of his protectorate. And to make a long story short, you know, they gave me the money to pay him off back what they owed him and uh we moved on for there but um wow yeah so you know what i've been told is that opium is the biggest money maker in afghanistan oh for sure i mean uh it is like uh for good or for worse it is like one of the most uh, pest resistant and disease resistant plants you can grow it anywhere uh in all kinds of climates all kinds of elevations everything um I could fast forward to a position where I was on a, on a, a base one time and I saw this gold, this brown or black sand we we're putting in sandbags to protect our little base we had there and it had sprinkles of gold color in it. And so when I took it back to the main city of Jalalabad, I had my interpreters have it assessed and it was gold. And so everybody was all excited thinking, oh, we'll go up there, we'll make all this gold. And I said, well, one, you'd never get in and out because you'd be killed. I yeah. said, and two, this isn't what they're concerned about. And they go, what do you mean? I said, here's their gold. And I'd show them pictures of hundreds of acres of poppies. Yeah. Wow. Because it doesn't, it doesn't rot. It doesn't, um, you know, deteriorate. And when I would talk to the different farmers about it, and I said, well, I thought we had a program where the United States was trying to teach you guys how to grow cotton. And they said, yeah, well, if we don't grow cotton, the Americans get mad. If we don't grow uh, poppies and opium, we all get killed. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you you wrote a book about all this, correct? Yes, yes. So yeah, and the name of the book is yeah, one brick at a time. One brick at a time, and uh-huh. it. I saw that it was available at Barnes and Noble. Yeah, it's available at Barnes and Noble on um, uh, Amazon, and then on my website. Uh, the only way I can sign the autograph copy is if you go to my website. What's your um, website? It's uh, one brick at a time press p r e s s. Dot com. All one word, one brick yeah. at a time press. press. Yeah. Okay, cool. Absolutely. So, but, yeah, but if you want to save some money, I, I'm not have to take it off because I don't get any of it. So, you know, you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and they usually cover the postage. Yeah. Well, you get some of it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, much, you didn't, they yeah. didn't steal it from you, did they? <laughs> it's possible no. it's happened I guess, I guess you know who knows i got you know i get a little step and check every once in a while but, you know uh i don't think i've hit the break even part yet i don't know maybe i have yeah it's book publishing is so much different than people think it is so it's oh. crazy the fact that you have a distributorship into barnes and noble is uh that's more than a lot of folks can say unfortunately yeah, and that was a whole experience unto itself. I I'm mean, sure. there's times I, where I just want to throw my hands up in the air and just say, you know, forget it. Did uh, you do that what, yourself? You, you broke yeah. that one yourself? Yeah. Oh, God. And, and so it was It was a matter of, yeah. uh, you know, um, uh, hit and miss and, and frustration. It's hard and to deal with those corporations, man. 
It's oh. it's as bad as movie as distributing a movie. You have to get a distributor of a movie. You have to have an agent, and then a manager, and all blah 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 blah. And then finally, once you've gotten the movie made, which takes like seventeen different organizations to get it made, then you've got to find somebody to distribute it. And if they don't distribute it, the movie dies. Yeah. The same with books. Oh my gosh! Who has the money for a manager and an agent yeah, and all that's that why other it stuff? Costs fifty million dollars for a movie. <sighs> Yeah. It's wow. just so, stupid crazy. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was basically what I did. Uh, it's got a lot of photographs in it. Nice. Yeah, are they full color nice. illustrations or are no, they? No, it's black and white. Black I couldn't afford color. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you were, now one of the things that you were doing was you were building places in Afghanistan, right? Yes. So. Yeah. And so. So um, when I came back the second time, that's really when I started getting into the building. Now, this I put on a, set, a different hat. Before, I was working for an individual contractor trying to acquire the jobs, and we we're always being undercut by Afghanistan contractors. Sure. And so we never really acquired much any work at all over there. So then when I came home, I tried to get my business going again for about six, nine months. Still, it was this is 2010. So 2011, I went back over this time. I was working for a private contractor who was contracted out to the Air Force. And so, ah. what, we did is, so what we did was he oversaw uh, these Afghan projects. And so I would go out there and meet with the Afghan contractors, make sure they were doing stuff right or correct, um, try to help them along to how they do different things, yeah. um, um, try to find the ones that were, you know, blackballed last week and they changed the name of the company <laughs> this week. <laughs> and, and oh, I saw you in here yesterday. <laughs> I know I better. Three, yeah. I had three contractors come to my little tent office one time with the same brochure. And the only difference was their name was taped on different on the front cover of the front of it. When I finally started laughing and, and presented the other two to the third guy, he goes, Oh, Mr. Rich, uh, those are all fake. Mine is the real one. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> At that point, who knows who the real one is? Right, yeah. Good grief. I mean, yeah. When I was, oh, I had one businessman over there who was an Afghan contractor. Um, he went to the university in, in uh, Beirut. He was an engineer, and he just, he we became good friends. And he said, uh, Mr. Rich, he says, I'm going to tell you something. He says, uh, remember these four things. We will lie to you cheat you, steal from you, and try to kill you. And he says, you base all your decisions on those four things, and you should probably survive Afghanistan. Oh, wow. my gosh. And and this, I'm just like, this was like about my first month in, in Afghanistan. I went, okay, this is not like doing business in America. <laughs> and the other thing they'd always come to me when I was living in the house, um, backtracking a little bit, is every contractor would come in the office, uh, a contractor, from an Afghan contractor, he goes, Mr. Rich, do you have enough guns? We can get you more guns. Do you need more guns to protect yourself? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So the people there, though, it sounds like there's a lot of corruption going on. There's a lot of corruption um, going on. I mean, people are just trying to survive. Um, By the time I got there and when I came back for my last stint from 2011 to 2015, they kind of figured it out that as the different um, people rotated, the different military forces rotated in every six to nine months, you know, from the United States. Yeah. The time they would figure out what was going on, they went back home and a new group came back in. And so they thought, oh boy, you know, here's another person with another checkbook. We'll just raise the price and we'll yeah. raise the price and we'll raise the price and we'll raise the price. And so 
yeah, you knew you did have that going on there all the time um, with that. So uh, one of my favorite sayings is called Inshallah. And um, that means uh, that means God willing. And so for a long time, people, had say, I'd say, are you going to get this concrete you know, made by tomorrow? Are you going to get some bricks laid by tomorrow? And they go, oh, by, by Tuesday, Rich, uh, Mr. Rich, Inshallah, which means in God's will. Well, a lot of stuff didn't get done. So it took me a year to finally figure that out. And I said, okay, uh, Mr. Rich will pay you on Wednesday, inshallah. And they go, Mr. Rich, you can't use inshallah against us because you're a Christian. You're not a Muslim. And I said, well, Mr. Rich is. So <laughs> Maybe you'll get paid if you get it done on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but once you know the rules and the games played and, and that type of thing, it, it takes you a while to figure it out. Um, uh, and, and I like people and I like meeting with people and I would go out and meet with people and work in the field with them. Um, they were surprised in a lot of cases that there was even an American out there on the job site. Really? Um, because I would, yeah, because I would, most engineers and architects never leave the big giant bases. Um, I heard statistics over there. I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard statistics that uh, 80% of the military forces don't go off base. So yeah. it's just the twenty percent of the infantry and, and recon and that type of stuff, and those are the guys that took me out. So uh, when I went out uh, for my last four years, I would have different military units that would take me out to my job sites. And when I had a first wake up call, was when I had all these nineteen and twenty year old uh, army uh, people with me, I said, "Okay, guys, um, how long do I have out here?" And the sergeant looked at me and goes, "Because uh, I just went by Mr. Rich," and he goes, uh, "Mr. Rich." Uh, we're out here as long as you need us. And at that point in time, I had a kind of a wake-up call going, wow, I'm responsible for all, putting all these people in harm's way, you know, to look at my yeah. little school or my little building that I'm doing. But you're and, building schools. Schools are important. And I think those guys, yeah. I think the majority of those guys, when they, you know, they would probably say to themselves, look, they're building a school for these little kids to go to. I don't have a problem standing out here defending the construction as long as these little kids get to go to school. Yeah, something right. good. And the schools varied. I mean, when you're in a lot closer to the bigger cities of Kabul, Herat, and Kandahar, the schools were fairly large size. Yeah. When I get out into the remote villages, it might be, you know, 25 feet by 25 feet. Yeah. You know, it's just a single room. Um, could be a concrete floor. Could be dirt. Um, one, one level bricks could be made in a kiln if we're close to a, uh, a larger city, or we actually made them out in the sun, and we called those sun-dried bricks. Yeah. And one of my favorite uh, testing programs is where I'd hold the brick straight out from me, and I'd drop it. And if it broke, I told them we had to use new bricks, and they would all get a big <laughs> kick out of that. <laughs> that was that was my quality control. <laughs> so the I you know what I want to know, what I'd like to know about this is uh, is the the people. Were they are 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 they? Obviously, there's different, you know, little things that they do different than we do as Americans because as Americans we're kind of we've always been brash and out there, and we're always you know generally outspoken, a little spoiled, a, a little. I think yeah, that's the new generations are are a little bit too spoiled. Uh, Gen Xers are a little bit rough and tumble. We really don't care anymore, which is Andrea and I. And I guess you would be the generation before the Gen X, and uh, but not quite a boomer. The boomers are a little older than you. So how, how would you say their culture is compared to what we do on a daily basis? 
Um, you have, I would say you could break it down into, into different groups. You got the ones in the major cities like Kabul. They got universities. That's the capital city. They have condos where um, uh, rock star, or not, I shouldn't say rock star, musicians and different yeah. people like that live in. Um, the warlords uh, live in those nice condos and those type of things. So it would be very comparable to what we have here in the United States. Um, so a lot of their buildings or office buildings are like one story with glass and those different types of things. And so, yeah, it was very similar. Now, now dirty, yes. Um, the streets are, you know, mostly dirt. And there's some few paved streets uh, along Even those lines. Even in Kabul? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. And then every once in a while you turn a corner and there's an old um, abandoned Russian tank, you know, sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, left somebody's got to move it. I don't know. Just leave it there. It's not yeah, the way. Yeah. Uh, if you could start a scrap business, you'd become a multi-billionaire if you could get all that material out of there. But, you had to pay the warlords um, first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and those are some of the things that you, you know, would learn and deal with. And so once I was able to work around with those people. But say the average person, yeah, they go to work. Um, when I lived in Kabul, I had a cook and a cleaning lady that showed up at my house every day. She had to wear one of those burkas, one of the blue things, so yeah. no one knew that she was coming to the house. Um, and my cook came there, and um, they showed up every day, and we paid them, and, 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 you know, and then they went back. When I was out in the countryside, I would be out there, and the tradesmen and stuff would be showing up. And uh, one of my favorite stories is I was here. I'm, I'm the you know smart American, right? Uh, I was humbled so many times, Paul, over there. It, it was just, I, I enjoyed it. And so I'm telling this brick mason and all these guys building this wall around this base, how they have to put mortar all the way around the brick and put them in place and, and, and not just slap it down and stick it on top. So I figured, voila, I did my job. So I go back to my little tent and the next day I come out with my interpreter and they're back doing it the same way yeah. as they did before. And I thought, well, maybe we didn't explain it right or maybe something like that. So I had my interpreter try to explain to them, you know, what we did. And they just laughed and they pointed up at the hill. And on top of the hill was one of Alexander the Great's castles. It was built in 300 BC and it's still wow. there. And so they said, we are doing it the same way that our ancestors built that. And that is still standing. And I started laughing and I, I slapped the guy on the back and we kind of hugged each other. And I just said, I stand corrected. Keep trucking, brother. To keep doing what you're doing. Wow. uh, There's so many times like that. I would have these eye levels where I could go out and measure stuff, and they'd bring out their little water level, and we'd have a little contest to see, you know, who came up with the most accuracy. And and, uh, every time, dead on, dead on, you know. Um, So uh, Just just because they're poor and and – Ununiversitized, university right. eyes, or whatever you want to call it, doesn't mean they're stupid. They're still and, and they wanted yeah. to learn, and they wanted to learn, and, and I, I, I can't degrade them for that. I mean, I would just go out to this job site, and the guy that was the the mason the next day, he was the plumber, and the next day, he was <laughs> wow. <laughs> the next There's day, obviously no union or mob bosses no, out no there. Codes. There's no codes. And every once in a while, we'd get these government officials coming out, and they go, these stairs are uneven. And I said, well, what's it say on the, the drawing? Plus, they can't read the drawings because they can't read or write. Yeah. So they call them maps. So, I mean, what, you know, get, get you, you know, things got to be a little different out here. And they, I said, on your drawing, what's it say there for the stairs? And they go, seven to nine inches. And I go, that's right. And they would make one stair step seven, and then make the next one nine, and then they make one eight. Oh. And you didn't have anything on yeah. here that said make them equal. Well, right? that's true. I mean, it, people take it pretty literal. Yeah. Yeah. So all of the common sense that we thought we've grown up with, 
you could just throw that out the window. I had my cleaning lady one day. I thought I was going to help her clean my house. I actually had a real toilet in the house in Kabul. So I brought her a cleaning brush, right? You know, the kind you scrub out the toilet? She probably thought that was crazy. Yeah. And so I, I gave it to her. And she, you remember, she lived in a, a mud hut, you know, no electricity, yeah. no running water, no outside outhouse type of thing. And so I gave it to her and had my interpreter kind of explain how you do this. So I was getting sick all the time, but I knew that that was because of, you know, the food and different things like that. And one day I walked by the bathroom and she was in there singing, la da 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 and she had the little brush and she's cleaning the toilet bowl, right? Yeah. Well, she assumed it was a universal tool. So oh. without, without <laughs> washing it or rinsing it out, she goes over to the mirror and she starts cleaning the mirror, right? Oh, then no. She goes, then she says, you know, and then she probably thought, you know, I, I like Mr. Rich so much, I want to really do a thorough job. So she went over the cup that had my toothbrush and I took my toothbrush <laughs> up, cleaned the cup, and then... Just to top it off, you know, because you don't want to have any food particles left in the brush, my toothbrush, she took the brush and she cleans my toothbrush and then puts it back in the cup. Nice. Oh, if you nice. can only see the look on my face right now, I'm oh. like totally horrified. <laughs> but I mean, they don't know. You don't know what no, you don't know. No. I mean, you and, know. And some of my, some of my uh, guards and different people that I had there would get upset and I'd say, hey, knock it off. You know, she's doing what she, she's doing the best job she has. She didn't know any better. No. One other one I had where I saw the guy, the cook scrubbing the floor and with a rag. And then I came in at lunchtime and he had it on top of the rice pot to keep the pot, you know, from rattling from yeah. the steam coming out and everything. And I knew all that dirt was going into my rice. So I explained to him, you know, only use a clean rag. Okay. Yeah. This, like, there's, okay. I'm, you guys, I, you wouldn't have yeah. to, you needed to explain to her that she wouldn't have yeah. to work so hard to clean the toilet if she right. wouldn't use the brush on your toothbrush. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so the next day I'm eating this bowl of rice. Well, am I wrong? Going, yeah. And so, so this rice, it tastes kind of funky. And I go, ah. what, what is with this rice taste? It, t- it tastes like bleach. So I go back in the kitchen with my interpreter. Oh. It's a little tiny kitchen. And I go, I go, how, what's going on here, Safi, with the, with, with the, this rag? And he goes, he holds up his thumb, you know, like, okay, okay, Mr. Rich, clean rag. And I said, well, how is it clean? It's the one you use on the floor. And he goes, watch. And so he goes over and he takes over the sink and he pours bleach all over it, wrings it out, and then takes it over and puts it on top of the rice pot. So all the bleach was dripping into the rice. It's clean. Yeah, it's I mean, clean. he doesn't really understand. I guess. Your, your rice is extra white today. Yes. So <laughs> when you learn, when you, it just made me more endeared and, and made me realize that what seems logical to me is not necessarily logical to them. And um, But they were probably was, both felt somewhat humiliated when they figured out what, when you explained to them what they had done. Uh, I, I, I had a young interpreter. He's 21 years old. And he, I would always try to explain to him, you know, I don't want to be upset. I just want to tell him that this kind of stuff makes Mr. Rich sick because he's from a foreign land and he can't, you know, eat the same stuff that they do, you <laughs> know, to a certain point, you know? Yeah. And um, so throughout my whole travels, I would be out there where I'd be dropped off with helicopters. I traveled all around Afghanistan on helicopters. Oh, um, that would be that, and, as dangerous yeah. as that is. That would be awesome to it do. It was, and it was. Uh, I had a backpack and a sleeping bag, and the one thing that made it uh, especially uh, easy for me was because being a civilian, I didn't have to have orders. And so I could hop on a helicopter and fly wherever I wanted to. Yeah. And, um, you know, just uh, all military helicopters, mostly U.S., but sometimes um, Italian and, and other ones. English. But, yeah. uh, I would just land in, in different areas. And I'll never forget this one time I was on this foreign uh, uh, remote base. 
uh, where you see all like the movies like um, uh, Lone Survivor and all those type of things. I was up in that area. Nice. And and so I landed on this base. I'm over there working on this Afghan little uh, building over there with the workers. And I'm down on my hands and knees. And all of a sudden, da, 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 here comes the Americans. And a colonel comes flying in with his helicopter. And there's there's uh, uh, Apache helicopters and Chinooks flying all overhead. The guy comes down, puts his little sat screen thing or whatever it is on the ground, pointing up at the air for communications. And they come around the corner and they look and they go, who are you? <laughs> and I go, I'm Mr. Rich. They go, Mr. Rich. I go, yeah, I'm the tip of the spear. If I don't build it, you don't live in it. And, and they just kind of looked at me and walked away, shaking their heads like, who is this guy? He's out here on the, we're, we're chasing down warlords. And then there's some dude out here with a pair set of plans going, hey, y'all, anybody want to help build this? I'll pay you. <laughs> wow. And uh, the so hell a lot of times, from? so the, and then what I do is I take pictures of the different people, like the the uh, Afghan army people and everything like that, because they didn't have cameras or anything. Then when I go back to my main uh, base, because I'd be on main bases and helicopter out of those things, they call it kind of a uh, uh, you know spoke wheel type thing. But I would bring pictures back to them, and they would just be so excited because they'd have pictures of me and them, and and uh, you know they didn't have pictures of themselves. Did, and did the military ever like say, hey, yo? Give us those pictures too. No, they should no. have because you could have yeah. been standing next to, you know, oh. Taliban's most wanted. And could have been, you know, he's just yeah. like, I, I need to eat too, man. I need fifty bucks, right? And so yeah. I right. put in a week's worth to get my week's worth of work. I get my fifty bucks, and then I can go back to the front line and you know RPG a tank or something, you know. But he's still got big money. Well, and, and, that, and that's a lot of it that I found that people would tell me the stories of, you know, young men and everything, because there, there was no work over there for a lot of people. And oh, so yeah. that was that was a job. So it wasn't a matter that they were fighting the jihad. They were just trying to put food on the table. So, yeah, some and, more, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, that type of thing. So um, but when I would go out of these bases, a lot of these Afghan army guys, after a while, they were literally like around me protecting me because they, you know, I had one on one time when I had a bunch of people stand around me. He said, Mr. Rich, tell those Americans to get farther away from you because when, if they're standing by you, you make a better target. Yep. Um, you know, cause they can get, you know, a lot of us all at one time. Yeah. And so they had mortars. I mean, oh, my, oh, yeah. my, uh, cousin Erica, she was in the green zone for a good year and a half, two years in yeah. Baghdad. And she said, you couldn't go outside. If you went outside, right. They, there's always some dude somewhere with the pair of binoculars that no one's seen. And right. he says, oh, there's people out there. And he radios it to his buddy, and his buddy throws the mortars at you and tries to kill you. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times where I land with a helicopter, there's nobody there. Yeah. I mean, I jump off the helicopter, and literally, I'm a lot of times I'm not on a base. And the, there goes a helicopter. Yeah. I go like, whoa, where's the base at? You're you know, and I had yeah. times where I'd be sitting for four and a half hours along a riverbank waiting for a helicopter to come in because you never know when it would come in or not come in to pick me up. And across the river, I'm thinking, okay, is there some guy across there deciding if they're going to shoot old Mr. Rich? Yeah. You know, because I'm just sitting there out in the wide open by myself. Yeah. Well, you it's know? probably a good thing you were sitting out in the wide open by yourself because they knew that there wasn't you weren't doing anything. And the word gets around, you know, they they probably yeah. said, No, this dude builds stuff, he pays people, so let's not kill him because we you know, he may pay us next week. 
Yeah, that's right. So, that's right. you know, I mean, don't, don't shoot that guy. He, he's got well, and, and one of my favorite stories is the one time I got a call from the Afghan army and they said um, none of our uh, uh, air conditioners are work. They're called mini splits or these little things that kind of sit up on the wall and they kind of have heat and electricity. So I fly out to the base and I laugh. I started laughing. They go, what's so funny, Mr. Rich? I said, well, no kidding. You have your mini splits don't lift. They've all been stolen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And so so they said, when do we get new ones? You know, so that's some of the stuff you deal with. And so anything you lost or, you know, got stolen, you can buy it back in the bazaar you know, <laughs> next, next Friday, you know, if you wanted to. Well, the, um, the people, though, I mean, they seem, yeah, there's some corruption and stuff like that. I get that. But were they, are they that much different than what Americans would do if you went to, say, you know, the a poor place that had basically no rules? I guess I would want to know, like, what are the family units like? Are they like the family units? Well, they're they're very um, family oriented. Um, that's one of the things I learned over there was, you know, they um, uh, have a hierarchy, of course, in the family with you know the the sons and everything. But um, they're very family oriented. They protect their own. I know you've seen in some of the movies where, like, Lone Survivor, where the village protects the one Navy SEAL and stuff. So if they become endeared to you. They do. They do watch over and, and and kind of protect you and give you a heads up. I had a couple times where I was told, um, "Don't don't go there right now," okay. And um, so, uh, and then if you walk in a village and there's nobody on the street, uh, that's probably not a good idea to stay there because you know something's going to happen. Um, Everybody I knows one, it. Yeah. Yeah, and I had one time where I was supposed to go out to Bagram. That was kind of in the news. The big base that was our biggest base. That was the Russians' biggest base over there when we took it over. But I had to drive out there, and off the top of my head, I just said, "Okay, let's go Wednesday." You know, I don't know. And so um, Tuesday, a car bomb went off and killed everybody on the road. Okay. Uh. So Wednesday, so then Wednesday we drive out and we see what's left of that, and then we come back. Thursday, the same thing happened again. So then my two Christian Lebanese bodyguards um, came up to me and started laughing. They go, Mr. Rich, you picked a good day. And then at that point in time, you think like, wow, every decision I make could you have an impact on somebody, whether they live or die or get hurt or not hurt. And so after that, it became a joke. Every time I was going to a really bad place, I'd go to my Lebanese guys, okay, how bad a place are we going to today? And they'd look over me and go, Mr. Rich, I think we're going to see Jesus today. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I said, well, I don't mind seeing Jesus, but I just should not be today. Okay. <laughs> oh, so did you ever encounter any of the females in Afghanistan or is that kind of like not kind of a taboo kind of thing? Like most of the females stay in their house or, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Well, now, Here's the thing. When you're in the big cities and before the Taliban, obviously now it's back to the Taliban again, but before they came back and took everything over in the cities, there would be I built uh, universities uh, dorm in Herat for girls um, and and you'd see them in the in the streets. Some would have the burkas on, you know, the old blue uh, burka covering their whole body. And some of the girls would just have a headscarf on. Um, So it, it varied in the larger cities. Then it depended on whether you were going to. A really uh, like a Pashtun, uh, really traditional village or something like that. Then the only girls you see out are like eight years old and younger, uh, yeah, playing with the kids. And I mean, they're all playing together. But the women would stay inside the home and can only leave the home if they're escorted by a male. You get up north. 
to some of the areas up there where it's a different tribes. I remember it's all tribal there. I always used to tell people that, you know, Afghanistan isn't really a, a country. It's, a, it's an association of tribes. And so um, you get up north. And they're a little bit different up there where they don't really enforce the uh, burqa uh, requirements and those type of things. So you'll see the, the women and stuff out there working. And when I was doing schools and different things like that, they would show up. And then I got pictures in my book of the different women and stuff like that without being fully covered and clothed. So it just varied. Um, up in the northeast part, people would say, well, Mr. Rich, how do you drive around, you know, looking at the way you do? And course you can see me on as a, i'm from a swedish german descent and so my hair is blonde and my eyes are blue well up north lo and behold some of the remnants of alexander the great's um warriors are still up there army and they have blue eyes and blonde hair and so cool i have uncanny pictures in my book with standing next to the neurostanis and i look exactly like them and so they would dress me up in their clothes and they'd have me meet with the elders and they said mr rich just don't say anything and, <laughs> and so i sit there and i have the beard because i had to grow a beard i never had a beard in my whole life and um they would say okay now speak and i'd say okay something and then they'd all shock and they go neurostani and i go yeah yeah no no not neurostani so um you know, so was, the country was, directly uh, north of Afghanistan is Turkmenistan or something like that? There, well, there's several. There's Turkmenistan off the left. There's Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. Um, we got China over to the right. And China. Um, yeah. And so you Pakistan. have uh, some Mongolian influence. Yes, um, yes, yeah. Uh, and then you're going to have, um, oh, what's the? Turks. Yeah, you got the Turks, and then you go. Then of course, you got the Christians because they're they were all up in there. Because remember, they moved uh, in, right. way back in the day. They moved uh, uh, the Pope to Turkey, mm-hmm. so that yeah. was well, Christian. They did drive me so. around and show me where the last Jewish person lived in in Kabul. They said, "There's where the last Jewish person lived," <laughs> and uh, like, that's okay. He had a store or something there. You got but, the heck out uh, though, huh? And then you have the Pashtun who who are a little more. Uh, uh, dark hair, a little more olive-colored skin, and some of them claim to be descendants of uh, King Saul. So who knows? You know, um, you have to take everything kind of with the grain of thought, salt. You got to yeah. kind of separate fact from fiction and myth from truth. And you got you Hmong, know? the Mongs. Yeah. They're probably up there. Did you run across any Sikhs? Yes. Yeah. Well, the Sikhs came over um, and worked on the bases, you know, so they okay. would be on the U.S. bases and the different bases. The thing you got to keep in mind over there, which was a a total eye opener to me, um, was, you know, I knew there'd be the British and and, and some NATO troops, but they had a coalition over there of over 50 countries. Yeah. And so so I flew into a military base one time and the border guards all around the base were from Mongolia. And I go, what are are you guys doing here? And they go, I "I thought you guys were friends with the Russians or the Chinese or something. I mean, I didn't know. I was American. And they go, they spoke, some of them spoke English and they go, well, yeah, we were with the Russians and then the China gave us a better deal. And now America's building schools in Mongolia. So here we are. Nice. So the Mongs, <laughs> well, we've got a large population of Hmong uh, folks here in Northwest Arkansas, which yeah. I didn't know about until I a few didn't years either. ago. And there's a lot of Mongs, which are Mongolian, Chinese right. kind of, and they definitely look like not yeah. Chinese. They look long i mean but most of the pro most of the situation in afghanistan is most everybody is sunni it's not like iraq and where yeah, you have sunni, she, uh, sunni. Each other. 
there is there is a group of people called the Hazaras over there that are the the Shia, and they're kind of a minority, and and they're looked down on, and kind of like a, you know a subclass that everybody tre- doesn't treat real well. But I had engineers and and different interpreters that were actually Hazara, and um, uh, they so, kind of look like the Mongolians, you know, type people. So they do have a tight family life, I suppose. Yes, what you're saying yes, and. The, it, it, it's commerce. Commerce it doesn't. You know, we we get big box stores, things like that. You know, go to Walmart, Costco, Sam's, mm-hmm. go to the Safeway and buy your food. You know, crap like that. Go to, with, with our bazaars are not really bazaar. It's just a bunch of you know farmers markets, whatever. Yeah, might have had more bizarre bazaars out in Oregon than you would in Arkansas, but that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so the. Uh, is I guess everybody has to go buy their food fresh. There's really no supermarket, is there? No, I mean you would get in, in this there again in the big cities. You would have some stores and um, like Kabul and uh, Herat and uh, Kandahar. But once you got out in, into the other areas, it was all um, kind of markets, uh, roadside stands selling stuff. It was seasonal. Does everybody um, have electricity out there? No. No, and even in even in the capital city of uh, Kabul, we would maybe have four hours electricity uh, a day. So hey, uh, you know, look look forward to California <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the rolling blackouts. So we had a generator in our front yard that I had to switch on every every uh, you know few hours for for the for that. Yeah. Um, so the um, the que- you know the question I got I guess is yeah um, because everything is it's it's. I've always been the person that says, um, people say, well, let me back up a second. They say, uh, the, for example, they say the Bible doesn't have any reference now because it was 2,000 years ago and things are different, right? Or, you know, things yeah. like that. They say, they say uh, the Constitution of the United States doesn't mean anything now because it was 200 years ago. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything. It's, everything's different. But it's not. We're still human beings. We still deal with jealousy, hatred, love, lust, greed, and anger. It's the same emotions that have that we've been running off of since the beginning of time. So if I've always felt that if you run, go, uh, just because the society doesn't have the amenities where we can run a podcast from my kitchen table, which is what I'm doing, uh, it doesn't make any difference if we're still just the same as we were 2000 years ago. So at this point, what I'm thinking is that the folks in Afghanistan are almost representative of what it was like 200 years ago. Easily that, or even farther back. I would say, uh, I'd always tell people when I went out in the far remote areas and saw the nomads and stuff out there still living in their tents and everything, it, it looked like, you know, I would see on the movies and different things of Lawrence of Arabia and those type of things. Yeah. And um, I went, people said, you know, you just need to say, tell everybody your name is Mr. Rich, okay? Because we don't, a lot of people here don't have last names. And um, when I would talk to a lot of different uh, interpreters and different people out in the villages and different things like that through my interpreters, they didn't know what day they were born on. Um, they, they didn't know what year they were born in. They kind of had an idea, maybe, you know, kind of yeah. what, because it wasn't important to keep track of those type of things. And so one day I was sitting there laughing on myself and a couple of my bodyguards were saying, what, you know, thought I'd been out in the heat too long and maybe I've kind of finally lost it. And I said, it is biblical times. And they go, why? And I said, because nobody in the Bible has a last name. Yeah. 
And and they said, <laughs> said, David didn't have a last name. Solomon didn't have a last name. Noah didn't have a last name. You know, Abraham didn't have a last name. And and That's I true. said, so it is kind of like that. And so when I would go out there with a lot of these people, it was that way. I even had where I had a bodyguard. We called him Baba, means grandfather. And he came really endear to me. And we tried to learn each other's language a little bit. He finally told my interpreter that if we were overran by the Taliban in this house I lived in, he was going to cut my head off and put it in a clean hole uh, because he didn't want me to be tortured. Oh. And so I okay. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks, so Grandpa. Everyone, I appreciate yeah, sure. it. Every I'm once not. I'd be okay. looking out into the yard. We had this yard that was about ten feet by ten feet. And he had a little hand sickle, you know, cutting yeah. the grass. That was my lawnmower, and he'd put up to his throat and kind of make that cutting slike like that. And he'd laugh and giggle, and I'd say, "Make sure you tell Baba to wait till the last minute." Yeah, by the house and not jump over the wall. Okay. Um, well, He's just waiting, man. He was like, oh, I never really had a good excuse. I don't know if yeah. that's an endearing comment or if that should be yeah. horrified comment. I mean, I think yeah. both. Yeah. Both. So, OK, I got a question. You said something yes. about they took you to the last, I guess, the the last house, the last Jew lived in. Uh-huh. Um, I take it there's not a whole lot of Jews in Afghanistan. None that anybody know. I mean, there might be some that some don't. On you know, maybe on that. a base or something like that, but yeah, not but, anymore since they run out the yeah, NATO. No. So. Yeah. So, so the, the idea they they chased out all the Chinese uh, out of the major cities. Um, and now, of course, they're letting them back in. But uh, at that time, they chased them all out. Um, and they and then, like I said, the Jewish people, the the Taliban, you know, pretty much uh, let they let this one. I don't know the story. I think you can look it up in the internet, but. He was there for a long time. He had a, a shop of some type, and uh, I think he just passed away, and, and that was it. But, yeah, so he was the last one there. So it, it's a different kind of system over there because everybody in the country is Muslim. So when I would talk to people out in the villages and different things, they thought, well, you know, the Christians are terrible because, you know, we got bad, got bad people just like everybody else. And so mm-hmm. some of the contractors, some of the military, some of those people, well, in their mind, they're all Christians, because everybody in America is Christian. No. Right? No. Because like 30% identify yeah, as Christians. Because everybody in Afghanistan is Muslims. <laughs> you don't have a choice. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. so you had to kind of get your head wrapped around that. When they'd explain that to me, I'd go, well, no, no, those guys, probably, you know, I don't know. If it, not me to decide, but, you know, they might not be Christian. And they go, what do you mean? They're from America. And I go, yeah, but that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You, in America, you get to decide what you want to be. It's not like here where you don't. Yeah. So I was just wondering if it's like a, overall the Taliban and other people in the country just have an extreme dislike for Jews and that's why none of them live there or just. Yeah. Like- oh, yeah. And Christians, too. I was told by two of my bodyguards one time when they found out my name was Richard, they said, don't ever you say that to anybody here that your name is Richard. Because they'll want to kill you more than they would a Jewish person. And I Ouch. went, and I go, wow. And I started thinking, and of course, I had a lot of history in architecture and stuff. I go, you mean because of Richard the Lionheart in, in, the, uh, in the Crusades? And they go, exactly. So they've carried that. They don't know why, you know, they don't understand all this stuff, but. Just know, oral of, history. And they just. Oral history. And because. Grandpa said uh, they're bad. So I say, okay, yeah. they're bad. Yeah. yeah. So. So that's that was kind of an interesting comment Which that you know, I got. Yeah. So. 
What? I'm making yeah. gestures at Andrea. She's like, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Paul. <laughs> she hasn't said that yet today. Oh, my God, Paul. Yeah, it's what she normally says. I, I, I usually have something that comes out of my head. It's like I told her last week, I'm the one that you have to worry about what I say, not you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kind of curious because we always get kind of told in the news and in general, like the healthcare is over there awful. Women are treated like crap, you know, that, you know, they give birth in the middle of the street. I mean, you know, <laughs> and I would like to think that that's not completely true, but... Um. Yeah, I, I, I can't say that. I, I, I know I, I can say I never saw that happening in the street. But there again, you, you got two society. Well, I, I call it two societies. You got the city society and you got the rural society. And in the city, they had hospitals. And I'm not saying that you'd want to maybe go to some of them. But, um, <laughs> they do have, you know, they did have a French hospital there, um, a few things like that. So they do have some kind, you know, have different health care. That was the other thing. You know, where do you get your medicine? Yeah. Um, and so me being American, uh, I'd have to go to a U.S. base to, you know, get my shots and get my medicine. Well, if and, you needed morphine, you probably could. Yeah. Be, you're in the right well, place. But, you know, I I, uh, <laughs> I I couldn't get aspirin Yeah. because I had to have my wife uh, fly over aspirin for me because um, that thins the blood. And if I get shot, I'd bleed out faster. So that yeah. was kind of been so you had to have Advil or Tylenol, but no aspirin. So I became kind of I became kind of the pusher man because I get all this aspirin sent to me and all these older guys that were taking aspirin to thin their blood for high blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> say I didn't get my supply from back in the states. Can I yeah. buy some off you and I'll read dollar a pill? But these are baby <laughs> aspirin. I don't you know you want it or not. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Get, Andrew, to get back to your to your question. There are cases that um, the women are not, are not treated very well at all. Okay. Like right now with the Taliban, there are no girl can be educated over the age of eight years old. I hate that. Um, and now, and, and so I want to, and then there are cases where it's called Shuar law. It's, it's S W A R A. Now that's different than, than Shia. Uh, yeah. Shia. So that is where you give the daughter of your tribe or, or your person to another person to resolve the the differences. So when I was living in this area in, in Kabul, a man killed his neighbor. Oh, and so to resolve the the um, dispute, the man gave his 11 and 13 year old daughters to the, the men of that other tribe to resolve the, res- the dispute. And that was the end of it. And everybody was fine with it. Wow. So women are currency. Yes. My only experience is I worked in Dallas and I ran into all different types of cultures and nationalities and things like that. And I did take care of a, um, a Muslim woman. She was from Iraq. She was in the hospital. But anytime I would try to talk to her, because that's kind of what we're taught in healthcare, you talk to the patient, right. you advocate for the patient. She would never speak to me. And her husband would speak for her. And that was really strange for me. And I would go back to my charge nurse and she'd say, she won't speak because her husband's in the room. He speaks for her. And I'm right. like, well, I'm asking her for pain medicine and he's telling me she doesn't need it. I'm thinking, how in the hell does he know she's in pain? Right. She's like, you're just going to have to let it go. And it was really hard for me because I felt really bad for her. Yeah. So when he left briefly, I don't know where he went, and I would go back in there because I had to give her medication. I asked her, I said, do you want something for pain? And she says, my husband's not here. And I was like, I'm asking you. And she said, I can't. And I said, if you want it before he comes back, just hit the call button. But I had to wait until the husband came back for her to even take her medication. 
Right. So it was just really weird. I mean, we didn't have very many Iraq patients, but it totally blew my mind. I'm like, is this normal over there? I mean, I mean, that's why I get sideways a lot of times with the rhetoric that people, they they, would, you Americans are so bad. You're, you treat, we're misogynistic bastards and stuff like that. And it drives me absolutely insane because the people who are saying that are speaking at the side of their head. They have no idea at right. all how people, how badly women are treated outside of America and how good that everybody has it. Now, I'm not saying that you should give up trying to have, you know, equal rights or equal right. whatever. I'm saying, you know, just step back for a moment and look at the reality of your situation in America. You can do whatever you want. And yes, there's going to be men out there that are jerks, but there's also women out there that are jerks and I've run into them and Andrea's seen it happen. So it's, you know, it's the same for everybody. Just, just to just realize how good you got it, man. You know, we had a veterinarian lady one time and went out on one of the missions with us and there was, um, uh, a pregnant woman having some problems and the husband had a cow and um, this, she related this story to me when we were taking another helicopter out that she wanted to help the look at the, the wife and the man said, no, you need to look at my cow. And she first, and she goes, well, no, your wife really looks like she has some problems. I, I, I need to look at her. And he goes, no, you will not look at my wife until you look at my cow because this is the only cow I have. I can always get another wife. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but so. they. I, I hate that 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 the, the, the Taliban won't let their the, let the little girls be educated. That was like yeah. the first thing I heard. But as soon as as soon as the the airplanes left, the next news I heard out of Afghanistan was that they're now destroying. Not some of the schools he built, right, were destroyed by the Taliban because they're built to house girls, right. And I don't know uh, the schools that I built, if they're still mm-hmm. there or been repurposed for other situations. They were tearing or not. some of them down. But, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They even would tear down the regular schools because they weren't teaching, uh, you know, the uh, radical beliefs that they had. Why? So it, it just, what is wrong with that? I just yeah. blows my mind, man. But yeah, it's, you go ahead. Other than that, though, I mean, is are the. Are the men more aggressive? Are the men just men? We're all just friends. Um, you know, I mean, did, how does it compare to how we do things? And it just well, it, it depends. One, it depends on the tribe. Everything's tribal over there, so it's uh, a lot, a lot different than any place else because of the tribes. And so that varies. You know, you have the Pashtun are always fighting against the Tajiks and and different. And you have two major languages. You have a lot of other languages, but the two major languages are Pashtun and Dari. And so now you got this language difference that becomes creates a lot of a lot of issues. And so Dari was the language of the government and the northern tribes, and Pashtun was the language of the kings and the. you know, the major tribe in Afghanistan, which is, is, is the Pashtuns. So to, to even make that more complicated, uh, when they divided between uh, Afghanistan, the British did, and at that time was India, then became Pakistan, they cut the Pashtun tribal area right in half. Wow. <laughs> so sound, sound familiar, kind of like what the British did, you know, in, in uh, Iraq and all those other places. Yeah. They didn't care, and they just put a line and said, this is where it's going to be. And 
uh, that type of thing. We do but, owe a lot of the world turmoil to the British. Yeah. Yeah. With this, but, them walking around and, and just, it's like if you go to, to India, parts of India are very, you know, their culture is intact, but there's a lot of right. India where you're like, wait, hey, you just did something English. Why did you do that? And it's that's the strangest thing possible. Well, they I've were a colony, seen. though. I mean, yeah, I know. And a lot yeah. of those guys have British accents. It's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, get back to your question, Paul, about the men. Um, yeah, it just depends on their education, uh, who, you know, what tribe they're from. Uh, I got along with all of them really well. Uh, I, you know, I, they, I guess they can see the sincerity where I'd get down in my hands and knees. I get my hands dirty and I would work with them. And they knew that I was taking a chance. I mean, you know, if I was out there by myself working with them or if I had a few guards or something around me, uh, uh, you know, watching over me, um, you know, I had the opportunity to where there was places where the U.S. government didn't, uh, armies didn't go because certain parts of Afghanistan were controlled by different nations. And so yeah. I got to yeah, I got to uh, travel with the Italians. I got to travel with the Roman. The Romanians were awesome. Those guys would just go anywhere, do anything. And uh, I used to always kid them about riding in their vehicles with them. I'd say, now, do I have to worry about any of you guys being from Transylvania and getting bit? <laughs> <laughs> this is like but, stupid American. <laughs> stupid American, you know? And so they'd all laugh and giggle about that. And they'd kind of make you know, a little, little thing like they're going to bite me type of thing. You know? and so, uh, yeah. and That's so, funny. I would be driving in their rigs and there'd be crosses and there'd be icons and all kinds of stuff you know, in there. And of course, in the American ones, it's got to all be sterile. You can't do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and so um, when we go out, before we go out on a mission with the Romanians, we stand in a circle and we get blessed by the, you know, by the um, Orthodox guy. And he'd cool. put a little water cross on my head and, and that type of stuff. And uh, I only had that happen with one other military unit, and that was the 82nd Airborne. And they would get in a circle and say a prayer before we'd go out. And I said, I said, I asked the captain, I said, Captain, how are you able to do this? And he goes, because we're the 82nd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I'm good with it, you know. So yeah. it, it all varied. Um, the Italians were always late to pick me up, but they always got <laughs> coffee and, and pastry. Well, they had to, you journal, had to get. Uh, arrivederci. Yeah, you know? they had and to so, get their supplies together. It's like, oh, before we go, we got to yeah, make sure brunch yeah. is settled. Yeah, yeah. So, that's I mean, funny. I tell you, half the time over there, I felt like I was a cross between uh, Lawrence of Arabia and a, a Sholon monk traveling all around with my so backpack and sleeping bag. All you really needed to do was to go around uh, as and pretend to have a Scottish accent, and you would be right out of the movies. <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> exactly. For those who don't one. know, uh, uh, James Bond. Right. What was his... Or Connery. Sean Connery, Sean Connery, yeah. Connery did a movie where he was an Arabian. He was an Arabian. And the entire time he's got this heavy Scottish accent, just like, you know, the next movie he did was where he was the captain of a Soviet super secret submarine. But yet he spoke with that Scottish Not Red October. Yeah, Scottish accent. <laughs> well, I did. I did some stuff for the. I, one time, I was sitting on my tent, and no and one the cared. Walked, the guys walked in with no markings on their uniforms, beard, had the headset on, looked right out of the movies. Really? And Americans, and they came in and they said, "Are you Mr. Rich?" And I go, "Yeah." They said, "Can you work on some projects for us outside the wire?" That's, that's off the base. And I go, "Yeah, I go out all the time. You know, what what can I do for you guys? Let me help you out." And so, make a long story short, I did some stuff for them. So every once in a while, when I'd have to go out to a village to work on a little school or something like that. 
uh, I'd have to have be escorted. And so I'd call the Navy SEALs and I'd say, hey, uh, Senior Chief, can you guys take me out to this place? Are you guys going on that area? And they go, yeah, okay, we'll get you out there. So they'd get me out there. And one time I was sitting on this roof where they're cleaning out the village. I mean, not hurting anybody, but just make sure there wasn't some bad guys yeah. in there to, to kill Mr. Rich. And I'm sitting on top of the roof, just like right out of one of those movies, flat roof, you know, all mud, brick. And this guy, Navy guy, SEAL, sitting next to me listening to Creedence Clearwater Revival. <laughs> and I go, hey, man, on his, on his ear set, you know. And I go, hey, I saw them in concert in 1969. And he looks at me and goes, Mr. Walton. How old are you? At that, time I was, at that time I was 60. And he goes, I go, I'm 60. He goes, you're older than my dad. What are you doing here? And I said, well, life doesn't always work out the way you like. So I would advise you to maybe save some more money than I did. And you won't end up in a place like this when you're 60 years old. And wow. they were just up there laughing so hard. And, and I even said, so so uh, if you have a heart attack, and, and I said, so if I have a heart attack and die, can you put a couple bullets in I mean, so it makes it look like a better story. Yeah. Well, I, you probably thing. have some accidental death insurance that might pay off, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. You got shot. <laughs> they, make them, they make them buy the life insurance before they go into combat. Well, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, whatever. You know, they just, they should just don't make everybody buy that stuff. Just pay them. Because uh, it's just underwritten by the government. It's the government. Well, what can we say? Yeah, it's true. So, is, is there anything? I guess we're we're a little bit over our time, starting to get there. We do about okay. an hour, and uh, it, it's obviously you can find your book at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or go directly to Mister Rich's website, which is hello, anyone. Oh. Oh yeah, it, it's it's one brick, one, one brick, brick at a time. time. Press press dot com dot com one brick at a time press dot com. And if you want him to sign it, um, I most of our guests have told, said that if they're in the United States, it's fine. But if you're like in Canada, you're going to have to pay for shipping. So because we found that out the hard way. Oh um, yeah, my my uh, my um, company I work for. Explore Scientific, which helps underwrite the music on this program, which oh. they do. Um, they, you know, whether they know or not, this is a different story. <laughs> I just use the license, but <laughs> I am the manager of that department, so I can do what I want. Anyway, so um, you know, when shipping stuff to, to to Canada is stupid crazy right now, so um, you may. Just a piece, you know, something that I've learned. And I guess Vic learned that too, remember? Oh, yeah. He did talk yeah. about that. What was postage was more than the book or something yeah, like that? Yeah, post, like postage was 25 bucks to mail book to Canada. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And get, they're doing that to us right now too at, at, at Explorer Scientific. It's like, what? Why? And and then on top of that, you send it to the Amazon Canada. Then Canada's making people pay for shipping again. Ouch! I know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, the world economics is is in an upheaval right now, and it's like I don't know what's going to happen next. That's a whole other podcast, man. I know. But so, is, is there anything though that you'd want to leave us with about your adventures? Um, I would just say, you know, uh, there are some chapters in my book called "Cat and Nine Lives" about the nine times that uh, I was almost killed, and I used to have the uh, U.S. military guys be around me every once in a while. Said when you get to one life left. Uh, Mr. Rich, let me know. 
and uh, so we can get the heck away from you. Fair. I got stories in there about where I had a grenade dropped in front of me and it bounced across the floor and everybody dove off into underneath the tables and chairs. And I just kind of stood there and looked at it and just went, wow, is this how I'm going out? Um, so, <laughs> is that <laughs> a grenade? Yeah. But I, I think, I think that the big go away from it is that I went over there with no agenda. I was just an American. I was like a deer in headlights. Um, I, all I did was write about, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a hero or bravery or anything. I, I tell it out in the book, like I was scared to death. I had one time where I had to run across an area where the snipers were shooting at us. And I asked the army guys, how do you do this? It was probably about a 20 yard thing I had to run across. And they said, you just run. I said, what? You do this every day? And they go, yeah. And they took off and they ran across. And so I sat there to myself going, I mean, imagine this, you, what, how, do, how do you run across or how do you get yourself yeah. psyched to do this? And I just go, okay, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. And as I ran, bullets were hitting the gravel and hitting the buildings around me as a sniper shot at me to get across. Oh when my I got gosh. over there, my adrenaline and everything was going so hard and so fast. I was just like, and these guys do it every day and day in and day out. And then they would send the military up in the mountain and try to find the sniper and everything. And, and a lot of times they were gone by the time yeah. it happened. But um, so, yeah, if it, it just tells the stories of the, the people, uh, how I was endeared to them, uh, how, you know, we did things together and um, what I learned from over there about just about life in general and how I came back uh, and, and how my life changed coming back. I got a burn to actually, you know, go and substitute teach. And um, I do that five days a week now and try to bring a little bit of the world into the school and explain to like, especially some of the girls like, hey, all you girls sit in this classroom. If you're in Afghanistan, you couldn't be in school right now. So just going to tell you that different parts of the world, different rules. And so uh, I would say that's what I would leave it at. Wow. Well, thank you. I could sit here and talk to hours about some of your stories. I mean, <laughs> call me back. <laughs> <laughs> we might. We might. I'm enjoying this. Like, you, you guys have been the most uh, gracious and easy people to talk to that I've had. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I just like the stories. It puts, I guess, Afghanistan, I guess, more real, I guess. Yeah. And we, should, yeah. we should appreciate what we have and education that as a female we're allowed to have and yeah as tough as you think it is there's some places a lot worse that's really yeah. the lesson that i learned that i take away from this for for men too because right. a guy like me you know what well, i'd be dead there'd be no way they put you know they a big guy like me just being even if i was skinny i'd still be bigger than everybody else you know i did I would be the first person that everybody's have a target on their back. I'd have a target on my back every day. And what could I do? I couldn't do anything. I probably I had sold. an prince over there that was really huge. And uh, he'd laugh about it. He says, the only reason the Taliban don't kill me is because they know they'd have to dig a hole big enough to put me in. <laughs> that is too much work. I don't know. For me, I'd probably be sold for someone's cow. Yeah, that's right. I, well, you know, I mean, if, if I, 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 ooh, American woman will exchange for cow. Uh, yeah. uh, don't worry, don't worry. I'd, I get a truck of 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 nice Brahmas and bring them over there and exchange it for you. Oh, thanks. I'm not sure that's that romantic, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're trying to say, though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's. 
Yeah, I, I, but it's, it's still the people are kind of still the same, though. I mean, I, they still they work hard. Um, you know, they uh, they still love, love hate, hatred, jealous, all everything. That. Yeah. yeah, and um, you know, they have a you know a, a hatred for the for the Pakistanis. And once you get over, you understand it because the farmers will raise potatoes and they have to sell them to the Pakistans. People over there in the Pakistan in the winter sells them back to them for five times the price uh, because there was no storage units in Afghanistan to store the potatoes. And so there's all that kind of stuff that's under uh, the society that you don't really see. And you wonder, well, why is this you know hatred? And why is there this, this stuff going on? Why well, can't um, I mean, it's all desert. There's like nothing can grow there, right? Oh, no, no. Um, they're um, actually there. There's called clots. They're these huge underground, of course, they all gotten blown up by the Russians and Americans, a lot of them, but for thousands of years, they had these huge underground canals that they built coming down from the Hindu Kirsch, which is the tail end of the Hindu, uh, the Himalayas. And so they got all this water coming down where they had huge agricultural uh, gardens and everything that they had up there. Up north, there was uh, forests and trees. Unfortunately, um, the Taliban, and I don't know the reason why it was scorched the earth. They'd burn down the forests and they destroy the farmlands. And um, well, they they destroy you know, any old relic, right? They hated all of that stuff. One of the most beautiful uh, carvings out of the side of a on the side of a, a, a mountain or or hill or cliff, whatever right. you want to call it. Uh, I can't remember the name of it right now. Bamian. That was the uh, yeah the 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 um, Buddhist. Yeah. Yeah, and uh-huh. they blew it up, got rid right. of it. Yeah. It's like why? The one you see in Raiders of the Lost Ark is in Turkey. Yeah, and yeah. it's not Buddhist; it's Christian, I think. Um, but it's it was something very similar to uh, the one you saw in the third Raiders of the Lost Ark movie or Indiana and, Jones. And there's movie. even a place in place called Shenhua where I went. I was able to fly there in a helicopter, and there's a pyramid. Hmm. Really? And so, so they had people there from Oxford at the time trying to figure out who built it and when and how. Well, you know, there's pyramids all over the world. People yeah. tend to build them. Yeah. Like, probably because they're fairly stable structures and they don't tend to fall down because they're pyramids. So. Well, and Alexander the Great was there. And I, you know, I assume that he knew what was going on in Egypt. And so, you know, maybe that's how that worked. I don't yeah, know. It but, could be the Mongs, too. They did some yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Who knows? It's 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 interesting. Well, we do appreciate you being on the program. Yes. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'd be glad to talk to you about more specific stuff. I, I really like to, if, to, we need to start thinking about bringing guests back, Andrea. Okay. Because, but when we do, we need to get really, really drill down into certain, you know, specific things we want to talk about. I'm all for it. Um, so there may be some stuff there for, for on the history portion of it. Get him and, and maybe somebody who's got a PhD in, you know, the the history portion of it because we have history people all around here in Northwest Arkansas because Fayetteville's University of Arkansas and you know they can compare notes live because they you know people like that never compare notes uh, the PhDs never ask somebody who went there on their own because mm-hmm. they say oh well I'm PhD you can't possibly know but it's not true nothing takes away from real experience yeah exactly the person who's on the ground. Having to do the, the the real work is the person who knows. Exactly. And I think, I don't know, what do you think? I think so too. I mean, nothing takes away from real experience because the book and what you learn is not always necessarily how it really went. Well, it's that way in nursing, isn't it? Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, it's there's tons of stuff that 
should be not written differently. Well, the book gives you an idea, but you can't. Not every situation is going to be the same in a book. You have to learn to be able to you adapt, know, and adapt, adapt, and overcome. Mm-hmm. What is that from? I can't remember. Anyway, so we've got some people coming. We we'll got your ballet dancer. We're going to talk about being in the ballet. Yes. Like, what are you embarrassed? No, I like the Nutcracker, and it's Nutcracker season. She's a Nutcracker freak, man. If you, if you want to, to, anybody listening, if you want to make Andrea the happiest girl in the world, just you know, email me, and I'll give you a PO box to send it to, and send her Nutcrackers. Yes, and I don't mean testicle crackers for all you oh creeps out there oh i'm talking God. about the old school nutcracker you know where his mouth opens and he got i've got one that's a fireman and i've got one that's a cook and now i have one that's holding grapes like a wine and you got the rat king the rat king guy yeah i have his huge collection i've had gosh like 25 of those things. Yeah, I always like to find the unusual ones, and they're very hard to find. So. You should get if we, we, they should see if we can find one that's Prince, not a Prince, but actual Prince. You know, formal artist formerly known as Prince as a Nutcracker. Yeah, the Nutcracker. That would definitely be unusual. He would appreciate that, I think, because <laughs> he was always about different stuff. Well, it would be different, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, just contact me and send her some Nutcrackers. Of course, I'll inspect them first to make sure they aren't actual Nutcrackers. Because I don't want, you know, she, there's no testicle cracking around here. Oh, my God, Paul. So, <laughs> finally, I got her to say it. If you're, out west, if you're out west, we call those Rocky Mountain Oysters. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, oh, my gosh, who else we got coming on? Uh, we have Rob coming up. We're going to talk about science and paranormal. Oh, yeah. He's Meteorolo- brand- Oh, there's a guy that says that he can prove Atlantis exists. Oh, yes. We have- I want to hear about that. Yes. We have a lady that's a lawyer that's going to talk about questions with family law. Oh, and- yeah. Yeah. Family law. We get to. Uh, that's going to be interesting. So I have zero knowledge about that because I, I've, I don't have any kids and I got divorced from an idiot. And so I didn't have to go to court. I have some experience because I have kids. Yeah. Um, and it helps if you're divorcing an idiot. One would hope. Why are you speaking so badly of her? Just so everybody knows, Andrea didn't know my ex's name for almost two months. I just called her ass face. I still call her ass face to this day. They're like, why do you have to be so mean to her? I says, because she's an ass face. <laughs> yes, I didn't know her name until I think your dad said my, it. My mom. Your mom and I went, who? It's like, well, that's what it is with mom. You know, so it's like, mom, your kids are always like, mom, mom, mom. Yeah. And, then, and then somebody says, is Vivian there? I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. My kids are like, you have a name? I was like, yes, I have a name. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Richard, I appreciate you. Uh, Mr. Rich. Mr. Rich. (laughs) Yes, Mr. Rich. We appreciate you being on today. And I guess that's what we got. Oh, is that it? I think that's it. Okay. Bye. Bye.
Andrea and I need your help. If you like our episodes, please give us a five-star rating and a review. Not sure exactly how that helps us, but it does, and it makes people want to listen. When they see that five stars and a good review from you, So go to wherever you're listening to your podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, wherever, and hit that five stars. 